Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, a top digital transformation podcast for healthcare executives, now in Season 4. This podcast is brought to you by Demo Consulting, a pioneering digital transformation advisory firm that works with the nation's leading healthcare enterprises. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, founder CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation: How Consumerism, Technology, and Pandemic Are Accelerating the Future, in conversation with leading digital health innovators and practitioners. The theme music for this podcast was composed and performed by Patty. Hello again and welcome back. I am here with Julia Hu, founder and CEO of Lark Health. Julia, thank you so much for setting aside the time and welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Patty. Great to be here and to see you again. Wonderful. So Julia, we've known each other for a while. I know you have a very interesting personal story that led you to starting the company. So for the benefit of our listeners, would you like to take a few minutes, just talk us through how you got to starting the company and and uh, some of your personal uh, journeys that have led you to where you are. Yeah, it's certainly been a journey. And I would say one that started when I was a child. So I'm not a doctor. I have no clinical background, but I am a deep consumer of healthcare. Ever since I was a little kid, I had many, many different chronic conditions autoimmune conditions. They were all undiagnosed, but left me as a pretty sick kid. And my dad had to quit his day job to take care of me. And really, after visiting dozens of doctors, he found this pediatrician for me. And it was like my 24-7 care team, my pediatrician, my dad and me over 12 years on this journey where my pediatrician would completely changed my diet and helped me manage pain and exercise and sleep and medication and stress. So it really changed my life. And I got rid of 90% of my attacks, even though I didn't know what I had as a condition or a series of conditions. So that's really changed the way that I saw medicine. And I felt like If you could treat the whole person and provide 24-7 personal compassionate care, that you could really do a lot to change people's lives. So fast forward, as an adult, I saw that there were not enough doctors and nurses, and our doctors and nurses are so overworked. So how can you really create this unlimited, infinitely scalable care especially focused on people struggling with chronic conditions or struggling with some health issues that lead to chronic conditions or mental health struggles. And so as a tech entrepreneur, we decided to tackle this very big problem of creating, using AI and remote patient monitoring and behavioral health and cognitive behavioral therapy. How do you use these tools and technologies to infinitely scale virtual care. And that's really how Lark was born. So what kind of conditions do you address using your uh, approach and your platform? Yeah, think of our platform as 24-7 text message-based counseling, plus 
all of the remote patient monitoring. So the devices that someone might need, whether they have diabetes, hypertension, prediabetes, stress and anxiety, or they just want to sleep better or stop smoking. So it's about 10 conditions that we cover in preventative, chronic, and mental health. And we treat about 2 million, we have about 2 million patients on our platform. And we help our health plans manage 30 million lives right now for one of these 10 conditions. So your main customers are health plans? Yes, that's our main customer. We also have about a thousand employers that we work with and actually also just starting to work with pharma companies as well. You know, remote care, AI-enabled care has been doing the rounds for several years. And uh, there's a lot of companies that are doing a similar, they're taking a similar approach to remote care. How is yours specifically different? Is it the cognitive behavioral aspect of it? Is it the tech? Can you talk to us about that? Sure. So most of population health today is what I would call either healthcare services or tech-enabled healthcare services, which means you have a care manager or nurse and they do a phone call with you, or they do a webinar with you, or you go in person, right, to a doctor to get a care plan. So that obviously has uh, scale and cost constraints. So what we try to do is we try to say, okay, what if you could automate this first line of defense and turn it essentially into an AI chatbot? So we spend about seven years $100 million in R&D and trained our AI on about a million patients. And it started getting clinical equivalents to live nurses. That's how we started scaling our services and why we're able to manage more than 2 million folks through all of this tech and automation. Now, the tech and automation is really not just the devices and the hardware and remote patient monitoring, but also Think of us as a as a friend, right? We're there at 1 a.m. If you need to text when you're feeling stressed, we'll do a five-minute meditation session with you. When you're a diabetic and you have some increases in glucose, we'll help you understand what you ate that triggered that. So we're really all about using the best of cognitive behavioral therapy, the best of the care plans, and providing care in an easy-to-digest way. You mentioned the term clinical equivalence. Can you explain that? What does it mean? Sure. So what we've done is to be able to show that just with our AI text message-based counseling, we've been able to show equivalent outcomes to live nurse care management type services. So everything from we're seeing one point A1C average drop for diabetics. We're seeing 13 points drop on hypertensives. We are, for example, CDC fully recognized as a DPP provider. So CDC does a longitudinal look at 2,400 providers, and we are in the top 25% of those providers. And so we've been able to show that our outcomes are just as good, but because we are AI and not taking up 
and using all of these nurses and coaches that were able to be much more scalable and deliver care at much lower the cost. In commercial terms, do you uh, offer these kinds of, are you in a position to offer these kinds of assurances to your clients like health plans and really sort of take risk and participate in the rewards and the gains? Are you in a place to do that confidently based on all of this experience? Yes, we are. And that's why we do performance-based pricing. And we only get paid if we hit certain clinical thresholds, if we engage patients. And so we have that. We have uh, PMPM. We have performance guarantees. We really try to make sure that we put our money where our mouth is. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Visit us at democonsulting.net and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to previous episodes at thebigunlock.com. With that, back to the conversation. So if I look back at the last couple of years, obviously we had the pandemic followed by another, well, within the pandemic, behavioral health, mental health was a big pandemic, so were other conditions. And then of course, The other big forcing function more recently has been the shortage of labor. How has that impacted your demand environment on the one hand, but also how has it impacted your own business in terms of these factors, these macro level factors? I think that the pandemic has really changed everything, but I think that specifically the silver lining to the pandemic in my mind is that healthcare has been the last industry that hasn't yet been truly revolutionized by technology and disrupted by technology. And I I do feel that the pandemic has pushed us probably up a whole generation on unlocking some of that innovation. For us, our managed members, we went from 1 million to 30 million managed members for our health plans. We went from a ragtag team of engineers and tech and data AI folks. Uh, We raised about $160 million during the pandemic and scaled our team close to 500%. So we feel very excited that we've been able to participate because virtual care and getting care delivered through your phone, you know, wherever you are at home, you know, safe in your own home. These are things that really started shifting with supply and demand, right? Like it's been a, a real learning curve. And now that the pandemic is, you know, in a much better place, people want to stay here, right? They want to get convenient access to care, cheaper access to care, and when they want it, when they need it, right? They want consumer care now, rather than healthcare being very non-consumer centric. So I think that in those ways, we've been a beneficiary of the acceleration toward digital innovation. But of course, we've also had to struggle with building a completely remote workforce and creating the culture to align teams. We've not been immune to this recession that's looming. I do feel very grateful, though, that I I think that we've been really pushing forward and had a good growth spurt. And firstly, congratulations on everything that you've accomplished so far, and especially the uh, funding rounds that you've raised during the pandemic. Now, of course, 
uh, the last couple of years, or at least 2020 and 2021, were really, really good years for fundraising, especially for uh, uh, later stage startups that had demonstrated some degree of traction and, and stability and uh, growth potential and so on. But things have changed a little bit this year, especially in the second half of the year. And so you've got, apart from all the macro factors, inflation, interest rates, and so on, the VC funding environment has contracted a little bit. What has that meant for uh, not just you as a company, but for the digital health startup ecosystem? What are you seeing out there on the ground? And uh, how are you seeing startups kind of work their way through this situation? It's so interesting, Patty. You and I were just talking about the health conference that just came out. And I was so shocked at how many hundreds of vendors there were and new digital innovations in the exhibit halls. And so I do think that the funding has really pushed forward a ton of innovation. Now, I do think that with the recession coming and the big uh, drawback of uh, capital funds available, now you have a lot of new companies needing to essentially get toward go-to-market strategy, get toward product market fit, get toward profitability and revenue much more quickly. And so I I think that there is going to be some bumpiness. I think that there is going to be definitely consolidation in the market. I think that there's going to be a lot of point solutions getting you know deals here or there that are pretty young. And so the partners on the employer side, on the health system side, on the health plan side, might also experience some bumpiness as they work with very innovative, but very potentially new companies and young companies that hopefully get through the winter. But I think that everyone, not just the young companies, you know, all of us, growth companies, newly public companies, I do think that it's our job to be good stewards of the capital in our coffers, to really focus and focus on the core business, to really drop and deprioritize some fun experiments and R&D efforts and really just lean into the focus areas. Yeah, and it's so important what you just said. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned as an entrepreneur is it's just as important what you choose not to do as it is to decide what you choose to do. And the comments you made about the funding environment and what it means for startups that have sort of overextended themselves. And we have seen examples of that, uh, for example, in the behavioral health space that companies have run into trouble. They've had to lay off people. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And it's a culling of the herd which happens every now and then, every few years or so. So I heard you say recession twice in your comments. Is it kind of like a given now, based on everything that you're seeing, that in 2023, we are going to be in a recession or we are probably already in one, we just don't know it? I am not an economist. I don't know enough about the markets. I feel like we need to be very honest with ourselves. We are in the beginnings of winter, and I don't think that winter will be over immediately. So, of course, I hope for the best, but I also plan for a more serious winter. And hold on to the cash, as they say, right? Now, you mentioned uh, partnerships and alliances, and I know you and I have talked uh, 
before. You've done some interesting partnerships, especially one with Salesforce. Do you want to talk about that? Sure thing. Yeah, we were just at Dreamforce with the chief customer officer and the chief health officer launching our product partnership that we created at a tech stack with Salesforce. And I think it's very exciting because uh, here we've been able to bring together two parts of the tech stack that I think serve the marketplace. So as you know, Salesforce is very good with being a market leader in CRM and essentially like a data infrastructure and toolkit for everything on the marketing side, but now also with the clinical uh, workforce. So the pharmacists, the care managers, the telehealth providers, providing data to them through a clinical CRM so that they can perform at the top of their license. And they came to us and said, hey, we've got this market leading product. Now, what we do need is a way and a technology to really mass acquire members and patients, to acquire them, to engage them, to triage them into virtual care plans, and then to be the front line of defense for care, and then at the right times, escalate them to nurses, care managers, providers, et cetera, and make sure that they get the data, the clinical side gets the data so that they can perform at the top of their license. And so that was our exciting partnership, this idea of we are the D2C and they are the B2B platform. And we are co-selling that into health plans, into pay providers, uh, value-based care providers, and pharma. So we're coming up to the end of our time. I want to touch on one topic. 2023, it looks like it's going to be a difficult year by all indications. Now, what is your advice for other founders, startups, those who have either recently you know, come into the market with a product and they're finding themselves facing headwinds because of the macro environment, or those who are looking to get into digital health right now and they have a nice idea, what's your advice to them? I think you gave great advice, right? Hold on to that cash. Um, <laughs> I think that focus is probably my advice. Just focus on where your strengths are. Be very honest with yourself on what your strengths are and where you're weak and just focus on those strengths and leveraging. How do you lean into those strengths to leverage them even more? And for us, I keep on telling my team, our two strengths are we have a cost advantage and we have a scale advantage. So where do we lean into to really where that matters, right? Well, where we have a, a cost sensitive client and you would say like, oh, all, all clients are cost sensitive. But in fact, we found a lot of interest and scaling in value-based care partners in fully insured. So we power many, many fully insured book of business for health plans. We power Medicare and Medicaid. So, so it's these types of things, you know, really leaning into your strengths and just being very focused. Right. So Julia, you mentioned uh, paywriters, and this is a very, very interesting segment. By the way, my firm does a lot of work with paywriters as well. 
There is a very unique dynamic, which is quite different from the normal payer provider dynamic. So talk to us a little bit about that and why you mentioned that segment as a focus area for your company. Absolutely. I, I'm really excited about the payvider aligned incentive model, right? You've got the payer and the provider on one side. They're all financially aligned to provide value-based care. The plan can provide tools that allow the payvider and the provider side to really perform at the top of their license. And so the Salesforce deal that I mentioned, it really is a payvider type tool. The work that we're doing is really, can we be an effective frontline of defense and patient member activation channel for our populations that are at risk. Because as a product that can scale aggressively, we can engage every single member in their journey as they become patients, as they need certain things from their chronic condition journey. And so think of us as the ongoing engagement and care services in between the doctor visits. And so we're able to become frontline of defense for payviders and a value-based care service that not only does all the remote monitoring to provide that longitudinal record, but pushes people at the right time back to their nurses, doctors, and care managers. And so I'm really excited about the transformation and the growth of all of these payvider systems. Right. And for the benefit of listeners who may not be familiar with the term payvider, these are integrated health systems that have a large health system with a kind of a fully owned health plan, which is the payer side of the business. And so these are not the most elegant of terms, but it kind of conveys the message. And of course, I imagine, uh, Julia, that uh, beginning to work with payviders also now gives you some kind of an inroad or a visibility into the provider market segment itself, which is a large segment on its own. And you mentioned early on that you're currently working mostly with health plans and with employers, but this could potentially be your you know, opportunity to expand into the provider. So is that part of your thinking as well? I absolutely think that the provider is at the center of care. And as a tech company, it's our job to really be the front line of defense for the provider population, for the PCP population that unfortunately right now is very strained and a lot of doctors are burning out and we're not putting enough energy into the PCP ecosystem. And so, yes, so the short answer is yes. The slightly more nuanced answer is that I think we work best in a value-based care construct because we are really trying to help the care of the whole person. Right. And you now have the experience to deliver on these uh, value-based contracts back-to-back because you're you know, willing to take on risk and deliver to performance expectations. Wonderful, wonderful. Excellent, excellent. So, Julia, this has been such a fascinating conversation and uh, thank you so much for sharing all your insights and sharing your personal story. Congratulations once again. Been a great admirer of your firm uh, from afar and all the very best to you and your team in the coming year. Thank you so much, Patty. It was lovely to see you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at thebigonlock.com with your feedback and questions.